this presentation. So what we're going to do, I don't normally do this. This is very unusual for this podcast, but I just don't see any other way to do this. This is a training that I have probably done, gosh, uh, 50, no, not 50 times. I've probably done this at least a dozen times. Uh, and, it, and having done multiple iterations, this is a fine-tuned machine. Uh, and from this and doing this training, I developed a five-stage uh, power in goals setting module that actually is coming out in my book. And I'm going to give you that sneak peek right now, uh, along with a lot of the data around why we should be setting goals and how we don't want to really be one of those statistics uh, going into 2024. So let me bring this up. Let me make sure that this is going to share right. And we'll jump right in. So this is going to be a little longer than normal. Um, this is the picture of me and my boys up at Oktoberfest in uh, the Salt Lake Mountains, as you can see. If you guys want to follow me or aren't already on TikTok and YouTube, these are tied to our Market Pulse channels. And the topic that we're going to be going over specifically is what I call powerful goals. This is our powerful goals uh, training and one that I've been doing for about 12 years now. And what I want to just go over really quickly with you that I think is important is why this is important. <laughs> The why drives the intention. The why drives what we do next. And so I want to set up your listening like, don't come into this. Don't listen to me from the angle of I've already heard this. Or I already read an article on how to set goals. Or I've already done this. Or It's not your job, Matt, to impose goal setting for me. I get that. I just want to set you up in your listening like, let's try to hear this like we've never heard it before. Because if you come in with an old hearing or an old listening from your past, when you go into this, you're going to miss some truths. You're going to miss some things that are for you uh, because you're truth crunching based on your past. And it's just what we do as humans. So it's going to take a little bit more effort to kind of come in, clear slate, hear this newly. And if you do, I think 2024 can be a radically different year for you. Oh, thank you. It was my audio. All right. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Brad. So going into 2024, we want to make sure that things are different. And what I was pointing to is that most people, they don't even set goals for 2024. And they know it's important, yet they, they don't even touch it, right? They don't even do it. And so when asked, eight out of 10 people lack even an overall goal. Like, and this was a survey done not during the first of the year, not during the end. So this was just like randomly done in the middle of the year. And what they found is that eight out of 10 people don't even have goals. Like, and they're not, they're definitely not written down, but it's like, Hey, so what are, what's your goal for the year? And they're like, I don't even have one. So if you're on this, 
don't be a statistic. Don't be one out of the eight out of the 10. And then we're going to dive in even deeper. And you're going to see that like there's some very simple things that you can do around your goal setting that will put you in the, like the top 1% of the human population. And then you can start to see some of the results also. Now, January is this common time as we know, right? Here we are. It's New Year's. It's time to do New Year's resolutions. And these are the same in nature as a goal, just that we do it once a year rather than doing it. You know, I do goals every quarter, once a month for my business. And then I break it down, dissect it into weekly. And I actually hire a, a coach through a, a third party that holds me accountable every week to those goals. Now, of the people who only uh, do goals want or have goals, one in five of them write it down. So out of the 80% that don't even have goals, 20% do, of the 20%, one out of five write those down. And so you can see how the statistic of like having a goal, then writing it down just gets into the smaller uh, amount of population, right? We earn like the top 10% at that point. But did you know that only one out of five people actually make the New Year's resolutions? You might find that it's interesting that those who do one in four make the same resolutions every year. And the data that's not on here is actually by February, most of them fizzle out. It's by like the second week of February, most people's New, Year res New Year's resolutions are not even a thought in their mind. Like they haven't put things in place. And we're going to talk about how to make this a different year. So that doesn't happen to you. But mid-February is typically when even that 10% of the population who sets goals and writes them down forgets completely by uh, mid-February. And of those who make the same resolutions, 90% continue to never meet it year over year over year. So it's like, what's going on? We've got one out of four, right, who have the same resolutions. And then 90% of the time, they're not even getting the result. Like they, they're not even moving the dial. And I mean, how frustrating would that be to set a goal, constantly be setting goals, never hitting them. And then you probably get into this uh, state of mind or place where you're just like, screw this. I'm just never setting goals again. In fact, you might even have some trauma around having goals and setting them. Why? Because you haven't had success. You haven't gotten the carrot, the win that keeps you moving into having goals. Because frankly, you didn't have someone like me or a mentor who shared this data with you and actually gave you good structure so that you could be on the winning side of this. And frankly, it doesn't have to be this bad. It doesn't have to be 90% of people fail. It doesn't have to be one out of four and one out of five. This could shift just the world. The human population does not have good structures around this. So I thought I'd share this. Here are some of the top five New Year's resolutions. You might set some of these. Not my job to decide that. Uh, the top is to lose weight. Second is like to get organized. Third is to quit smoking. Fourth is to fall in love. And the fifth is to spend more time with family. These are the top five resolutions. Now, on this podcast, you know, we're kind of uh, money centric. And I would say the people that watch uh, and participate in my channel, the people who uh, participate on the podcast are part of my company, probably in their top five has something to do with money, right? Like I want to make more money in 2024 than I did in 2023. And that's fine, but it's just not one of the top five. Now, less than 10% 
of the people who set these five goals felt like they actually met their results. Again, we're back into this 90% and we're going to address why, and we're going to make sure that you have the tools and the structures in place so that you're not a statistic for 2024. Now, even if you were to do this, is it worth doing? Like, why would I want to set goals based on the the data, the statistics that you're telling me, Matt? It sounds like a, a failed idea. And based on my past, I've been failing all the time. So why would I do this? Well, there's a study that was done in Harvard that I found just so valuable. In fact, a lot of my a lot of the structural pieces that I'm going to share with you later came from this study. But Harvard came out with a study and they studied MBA graduates and the students that they surveyed all had to do around goals. And here's what they found. They found that 84%, and these are Harvard graduates, guys, so don't feel bad if you didn't set goals already. 84% had no goals at all. These are Harvard graduates. 13% had unwritten goals, so they had it, they could express it, it was in their mind. And 3% had goals that were very clear. And how they defined that, I'm not quite sure. Maybe it was written down. Maybe they had details. It wasn't just like a spitball. Oh, yeah, I've got a goal for the year. Now, this is where things get interesting. And if you don't have a why, if you're going, why do goals matter? Especially why do financial goals matter? Let me tell you, because the data that I'm going to show you is insanely revealing. And it really had my eyes open to the haves versus the have-nots. It had me start to see, like, oh, my gosh, no wonder I don't have the money that other people have, maybe this has something to do with it. So just follow along here. They they went and followed these NBA graduates at Harvard for 10 years. And here's some of the data that they found. The 13% that set goals, so they went to those 13% that had already had this habit of kind of having loose goals, nothing specific, just loose. They were unwritten, were earning two times as much as the ones who didn't. Twice as much. The 3%, the ones that had written goals that were clear, probably written down, probably like uh, there's some structures that I'm going to share with you that would definitely put you into this 3%. The 3% that had clear written goals were earning 10 times as much as the other graduates. 10x. And these are all Harvard graduates. You think, Well, I thought everyone who came out of Harvard was making a ton of money. No, there's distinct differences between the graduates and the data points showed it had to do with goal setting. So set some goals, you'll make twice as much. Set some very clear goals, get into this category, you'll make 10 times as much. So I want to talk to you about a word that I use a lot and it's called power and it's, it's important to understand my language, and I use this a lot in my book. Power is a distinctive word that I use uh, with people that I coach in my business, with my friends, uh, specifically in my book. And it doesn't mean the typical version of power that you're used to. Power uh, is a distinction, or as it says here, is power being a function of velocity at which you attract the things you want. So power is like the cubic measurements of how quickly you can attract the things that you want. That's power to me. To have powerful goals would be to set the same goals you already had with just more velocity. 
So maybe 2023, you had a goal. It's like, I want to make more money. I want to make uh, seven figures. I want to make twice as much, whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever the goal is, the thing that's missing when we look at it is simply said power. Because, you know, if you have the goal, you can be in that, what was the percentage? Let's go back. You can be in this 13% group and make twice as much. It's clear that the path, you know, if let's say seven figures was the goal, if I was part of the 13%, would I eventually get there? You know, maybe if I was making 200,000 now and I doubled it, it would take me like five years, right? Four years to get to seven figures based on doing it this way. But if I could do it this way, where I could make 10X, I could do it in one year. You see the difference? And that's power. That's velocity. And I know you guys know people like this. I know you've seen examples and models of, even if they're not someone you know directly, where you've seen someone go from zero to hero, almost like it felt like overnight. It happened so quickly. And it's like, what's missing? What's the ingredient that caused that person to get access to this? And I I, I would say it's power. And power being the velocity at which you attract the things that you want, right? This definition that I have. So what are the structures to get into this 3%? What are, what are and I have this capitalized, what are powerful goals? What are structures to have powerful goals? And I'm going to go through these. So get something to write down. This is in my book. It's not coming out till April. So this is your sneak peek to get a shortcut hack to get into that 3%. So increase power. How do we increase power with goals? Well, it's language. And one of the ways that we use language powerfully is we write them down. We share them with others. We hold them in our thoughts, but it's all in language. Everything in creation, everything that we want to manifest, and I, I, I use that word loosely, but everything that we want to bring into our lives with power, with velocity, it happens in language. And so I found a way, and I found like the degrees by which you could set a goal tie a structure to it and the velocity at which you'll get it could be directly measured. Like one is faster than the other, just like we saw with a written goal versus a non-written goal. And there are actually better ones. There are better ones than just writing it down. We're going to talk about that. So I'm going to put this in order according to power, the ways we use language and setting resolutions and goals lowest to highest. So here it is. Number one, the lowest. What do you think about that? Thinking is a form of language. You use these words, like it's like a racquetball court in your head, bouncing back and forth. Sometimes the same dialogues, the same stories over and over again. We have a thought, something we want, and we say it internally. Like right now you might be like, yeah, I want more money. I want to make more money for 2024. I'm going to go do that. Or we think I want that. You know, maybe it's an exotic car, a new home, uh, a different type of relationship, but we'll keep it on the money side. But it's like, yeah, I want that. And in terms of power on this scale, I'm going to give you, it is the least powerful way, as we saw with the Harvard study, to get your goal. Now, is it impactful? Yeah, it's far more impactful than not having a goal at all, right? We saw that they're making twice as much money as the people had no goals at all. But to have the 10X return, we go into our second level, and that's called we write it down. And I would say that when when Harvard surveyed this group and they said that they had specific goals or detailed goals, I would imagine that it was written down somewhere. 
And so Harvard graduates only got to what I am calling my second level of power, and that's taking language, taking what we want, and rather than having it just live in our head, we put it on paper. And most of us, I would say, have heard this. Most of us have heard some theories around this. It's been batted around. You know, we've been taught it maybe in school or among friends and family, but we've heard, like a goal not written down as a wish, right? It's kind of cliche, but we've we've heard this before. We have the thought and then we write it down somewhere to help us remember or to make it more concrete, right? And I think that's fine. Get into that category. It definitely is going to, Harvard study showed that you're making 10 times as much as the people with no goals at all. Just do this. And you're probably going to set your life on a level of power and trajectory that you've never experienced. Just doing this. Well, here's the big question. How many of you have done this so far? Those of you who have goals once for 2024, is it written down? Is it somewhere that you're going to see it written down? Because just this level radically changes where you're going to be at the end of the year. Now, we're going to get into some bigger ones. And I've done coaching for over 15 years with executives. And so I'm not saying this from a place of arrogance. I'm just saying this from a place of it works. I know because I've seen the results. I've seen people apply this in the financial world. And these three levels that I'm going to give you going forward are way more powerful. I would say even exponentially, like, like there's a sugar cube that feeds you to go act and, and do something. And every new level I give you is like a two X in, in terms of how much sugar cubes or how much power, additional power you'll have towards whatever it is you're doing when it's, when it comes to setting goals. Now, symbols and reminders are a way to take the, the written You've already taken the thought in the head, you've written it down, and now you're going to reinforce it into your environment. We use reminders and symbols to help assist with bringing awareness to what's wanted, like this car, house, more money, whatever. Now, you want to be careful. Don't be mistaken. Reminders and symbols are both forms of language. They're just in the tangible form. And what you want to be looking for is, I mean, I have so many symbols and reminders. I wish I could show you. Like right here on my desk, I have 16 powerful money affirmations that will make you rich. I've got a picture of like this vacation thing over here. In my bathroom, I have money affirmations on the wall. I wear bracelets. Uh, depending on like what, what I'm trying to move or like what the goal is, I will put uh, printed images or sayings or quotes. I will use whiteboards and highlight things in big circled letters. I'll use thermometers to gauge like a goal to its endpoint. Uh, I use all kinds of stuff. And there's just something about us as humans that when we create something tangible, it adds an insane amount of velocity. I'll share, you know, I have a client that I'm, I'm really excited about uh, in terms of a symbol that was really powerful uh, that we created this year for 2024. And it was a symbol that this individual wore that was loud. Like typically a symbol we think it's for us, right? Like, oh, I'm going to wear a ring, a bracelet. Uh, you know, I'm going to have something on a wall. And like, I all know what it means, but everyone else won't. Well, this individual put together a symbol that was loud. It was, uh, I'll, I'll just share what it is. It's a baseball cap, but a loud baseball cap, like, 
something that was there not just for them to remember when they put it on and took it off in the day, but something that was kind of obscure, kind of a billboard that when people saw it, they would come up and be like, cool hat. Like, what does that mean? And then it gave them a, an opportunity, one, to reinforce the goal. And then two, maybe even to inspire and roll that person into joining. And we're going to talk about, uh, there's kind of some overlap between that idea and what's coming next. But the reality is the symbols and reminders can be so powerful that you use them to have your world reinforce the belief for you to step back into your goal. Okay. So symbols and reminders can be broad, right? From things we wear, things we put up. I also include calendar events, uh, reminders on your phone. These all count if they help reinforce whatever it is that you're up to. All right. Now we go into another level, even higher than thinking about writing it down, symbols and reminders. It's called we share them. And this is you know definitely a form of language. And our context or our environment is another way to say this only knows how to treat you the way you are, not the way you want to be. You will have to inspire them with this new goal, and it has to be worthy of their support that they'll remind you to stay on track. And a way that I like to say this in the goal-setting world around why we share our goals with others is if you can find a win-win, if you have a goal where it's like, hey, I want to take you my family on this vacation, not telling them about it and having it be a surprise. I mean, I, I can get how that would be fun or nostalgic or, you know, something like that. Uh, but you will miss this power level. Sharing this goal with your family will have them reinforce it. And it will have them push it on you. Like, hey, how's it going? How's your goal? Are we on track? I really want to go on this vacation with you, right? It's a win for them as long as it's also a win for you, like both happen and your context, your environment, similar to symbols, but not as powerful. This is way more powerful because your environment is enrolled. They're going to hold you accountable. They're going to be checking in with you. They're going to do you favors like, oh, no, no, I got the kids this time. Oh, no, no. I'll make sure that this happens. Why? Because they're enrolled in your goal. They understand it's a win for them. And so you'll get help You'll get assistance if you can align those plants and the people, the environment that you're in is fertile soil for the goal, the seed of the goal that you're planting. And then last but not least, we ask for coaching. This is, uh, and I'm not making a pitch here. <laughs> it's just what is. This is the highest, fastest way for us to get to an end point. Now, you can't miss the other pieces. You can't get a coach and not have a goal. Does that make sense? You can't get a coach and not write the goal down. You can't get a coach and not set up symbols and reminders. You can't get a coach and not expect to be sharing it because you're going to have to share it at least with them. And they will likely, a good coach, would tell you the other people that you need to share this goal with so that you can achieve it because you just can't add velocity to anything that you're doing without help and support of others. And so there's not a professional I know who went out into life with velocity, without a coach, period, end of conversation. Anyone that you admire, anyone who is a top performer in whatever they're doing, they have a coach, sometimes multiples. You can cheat yourself 
of real coaching by reading the words of other coaches. I, I do that. I, I try to read 50 books a year and that's valuable, but there's just no supplement for getting a real coach, a real human being, a person who's going to align with your goals. And you have to be careful with coaches. There's some, I mean, any coach is better than none, but you have to be careful because some coaches, their, their way that they set things up, the way that they make their money is actually not incentivized to fire you. And so a good coach has a good exit for you. A good coach has an end date. A good coach wants to get you out. They don't want you to be enabled by their coaching. Like they're not a helper. They're not a savior. They're not going to do the work for you. A good coach is there to teach you how to get access to all that and eventually fire you because you become the embodied thing that you were once wanting. And you it's very clear that you're there and then they can't help you anymore. Bad coaches, just to give you some feedback, and I would say a lot of therapists, and I get a lot of criticism for this, a lot of therapists fall into this category. They are awful coaches. And it's a lot of it's not their fault. A lot of it is the mechanics of how they're paid. Uh, a lot of it is this kind of default thing that shows up based on uh, the training that happens in therapy. But a lot of therapy isn't designed to get you out. It's actually not designed to get you actually better Better, but not without them. Better, but with, not without the practice. And so I'm just throwing some disclaimers out there. Uh, just because I said this and you're like, all right, great. I'm going to go get a coach. I'm going to hire someone like Matt, or I'm going to get a coach in this specific area of life that I want. Great. Just be cautious about certain coaches, certain styles of coaching, and know that those other four steps are still going to be important. Okay. So having said all of this, those, those are five steps, and I'll show you an image. You guys can take a screenshot. that will be in my book. Um, intentionality is really what's underneath goal setting. It's just being intentional. Why do we set goals? Well, it's because of, we want to have a clear intention. I, I love intentions. I love going into meetings like this meeting. I have an intention, like wh what I want to deliver, how I want you to receive it. What's the benefit of you being on? Like I have those intentions already preset going into a sales call, going into my trading, the intentions are set. And without intentions, we're kind of like the blind leading the blind. We're, we're, we're the, what I call the beggar in my book, where we just don't have strong beliefs around it. We don't have strong action around it. We're just kind of wandering around everywhere blind and probably destructive on some level. And so I want you to see, like, can you see why those, the Harvard graduates who set financial goals and merely increased the method they were using language around, had them receive just radically different outcomes? And I've found kind of a sense of pride. Uh, well, no, no, no. Let me back this up. I, I found that things like looking good being prideful, there you go, uh, often get in the way. Like we don't want to be the fool. We don't want to take that shot and have it miss because that might make me look bad. And so seeking out and sharing in language uh, more powerfully using structures like this, guys, it's statistically proven. Harvard has proven a 10x return. And I'm sharing that there are Structures are even more powerful than what that study showed. And so I just want to leave you with a sense of like, I get to do this. 
This is something that's for me. This is for my future. This is for my family. And if you're here trying to improve your financial setting, I just can't think of a better way that I could have spent our time today than going over how to set up your goals for 2024. Because frankly, if we just went into the new year and you hadn't done this, we would just be back with no power. We would have no power. We were just showing up, expecting a different result. And you guys know the cliche uh, answer around that. It's called insanity when we expect different results by doing the same things. We just got to stop that. 2024 is your year, guys. We had a tough year. COVID was hard. It's over. Let's let's step into 2024 more powerfully. And I want to be here to help you guys with that. Okay. So let's transition. We're going to switch over from that. Thanks for being on. Thanks for being attentive. I, I just can sense that you guys are going to take this seriously um, and set some time aside as I am doing even now with different parts of my businesses, different uh, things that I'm interested in, my investments. Do this and break it out into segments if you need to. All right, so we're going to go over this next piece. I want to show you a quick video that's going to help us into our segue. There's not a whole lot of market news that came out, but the market news that did come out, I'm really interested in showing you. Unemployment shocked Wall Street. This is a video that will help us with our segue. Let me bring this up really quick. By the way, I've got some equipment coming that I'm gonna like be able to push a button and like this stuff will come up. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, but until then, here we go. Well, ADP has come in. So this is uh, Bloomberg News, just so you know. This was a report that actually came out, I believe this came out last night or this like early, early this morning. But this is hot, like hot off the press, guys. This is what's going on. And there's a lot of strings attached to this data that I'm going to bring out and how it will likely impact the market uh, going into next week underneath the uh, BLS numbers for the last several months. So that's probably behind the strong whisper number. Uh, I got a kick out of you guys saying this morning that it's uh, jobs day in America. And I had this picture of millions of people waking up this morning and not caring because <laughs> they're all going off to work. <laughs> the labor market is strong. It We're is. expecting another strong uh, performance today, whether we get 188 or the forecast for 175. Doesn't really matter all that much. Unemployment's supposed to tick up to 3.8%, and the Fed was looking for 4.2% by the end of December. So at this point, obviously, uh, things are better than anticipated. Average hourly earnings, probably the thing to watch, because out of this report, that's the issue. Does strong labor market lead to inflation because of higher wages and the wages are expected to tick down so at this point that's probably going to be the most salient data point that we uh, get out of this unless there's some real surprise in the number of jobs created or some big move in unemployment that is not related to more people coming into the labor force all right so i'm going to just bring this back so you guys can see this image so here's the data that came out we have non-farm payroll uh, estimates at 175, and we got shocked. Uh, Wall Street got shocked with 199 added uh, uh, added jobs. Excuse me. An unemployment rate was expected to be at 3.8, and it went to 3.7.
So we've added jobs into the market. There's less unemployment. Here, everyone, this is the data that people get really confused when it comes to how it impacts the market. So let me break this down. And it took me a while to get this. So if, if, if this is kind of cloudy and you're trying to understand it, just know I was there early on. Uh, but once you kind of connect the dots, it all makes sense. So we have a lot of strings that, as, as you guys are learning, are tied to things that the federal fund rate and how the feds react when it comes to rates impacts the market. One of those that the Federal Reserve watches really closely is unemployment. And they would like the traditional like place that we want unemployment is generally over, just over 4%. In fact, uh, the target rate is like 4.2%. And you'd go, Matt, that makes no sense. Why would the feds want unemployment to go up, not down to help the economy? And I'll, I'll share why. It has to do with inflation. Now, inflation isn't just about the cost of goods. Inflation isn't just about like, what's the price of fuel? Inflation also has to do with how much it costs for labor. And if the labor market cost goes up too much, then it puts pressure on all the outputs of the goods and services. Do you see that? So the cost to get an egg or a gallon of milk goes up because the cost of labor also went up because why? unemployment went down. So if there's not enough, I know it sounds crazy. If there's not enough unemployment, then there's too much there's too much demand uh, for jobs. And so what do companies have to do to meet that demand? They have to bring rate uh, wages up. They have to get, or they have to use new technology, which AI is supplementing that a little, but not a lot. It's not enough. And so unemployment, uh, we like to have up, so that there's enough jobs to not force wages to go too high. Now, some people are going to be like, Matt, that sounds awful. Like, how are we going to survive if wages aren't keeping up with inflation? Well, I get that. That, that is a totally different problem and one that I am concerned about also with this. But having good job reports come in like they just did is going to have the Federal Reserve go, shit. <laughs> Excuse my French, but they're going to be like, you know, shit, like, how do we deal with this? And frankly, how it's going to result is they'll probably stall dropping rates down because they're not going to, here's here's the tie. You're not going to lower rates uh, with this looming, glooming inflation that may happen. The Federal Reserve's number one job right now is to tame inflation. We still have high inflation. It's not at their target rate. One of the ways that they typically do that is they bring unemployment up. I know it's not a great lever, but they bring unemployment up to create the pressure in the market to basically uh, like straggle the supply and demand issue in the market. If this continues, if December is better, if January is better, and we keep having uh, a supply constraint in the workforce, the feds likely are not going to drop rates. And the reason for that is because it would be like adding fuel on the fire with inflation. We'd likely see inflation tick up even higher with unemployment getting better. So it's this tug of war battle. The feds are definitely positioned to do this. I was hoping for a Q1 rate drop. 
uh, because it helps stimulate the economy in different markets. However, I don't think that's based on this data. I don't see that happening. So will we still see rate increases now for 2024? I still think the answer is yes. This data definitely is going to delay that. The feds are going to be a lot more conservative around the timing that we do our first rate drop. And I actually think the market's reaction to this is not really positive. Um, it might be a false knee-jerk reaction that we may have some pullback in the markets next week as people start talking, because no one's talking about this yet. As people start talking about, wait a minute, well, what are the feds going to do? And then people start putting in their input, well, they're probably not going to lower rates. And then people go, wait, they're not going to lower rates? We need to adjust our pricing and our position in the market. And right now, the market's priced to perfection. The market's priced in three rate drops for the year. And now it's looking more like three, but later, or maybe two, and then the third into 2025. And so just knowing that, the market is going to have to correct. And that's not going to happen today. It will be into next week. Uh, there'll be some smart people positioning. But my viewpoint, and again, not financial advice. That's why we do the disclaimer. But my view on this is actually more bearish going into next week based on this data, even though the data was good and you have a knee-jerk reaction that causes the market to go up. So there's my weigh-in on probably the largest news that we've had all week, and it's on unemployment. Ugh, I hope we don't have a surge in inflation going into the spring. That would really screw things up. There have been analysts, and I've been kind of 50-50 on this uh, belief, that we might have a second wave, like a, like a, you know, we had the big wave of inflation and then we're going to have kind of an aftershock of it going into 2024. I really hope that we can land this plane uh, and not have to deal with that, but it is a possibility uh, going into this year. All right, let's go into our money mishaps and then we're going to do our trades at the end. I want to show you this. I think this is just fun. It's fun to find fun ways to get educated on the markets. And I don't know how many of you guys seen this movie, but I thought I would bring this to your attention because we're kind of the underdogs. And a lot of you here are taking kind of an underdog position when it comes to making money in the markets. And I wanted to share in our money mishaps section, this movie that came out that I would imagine most of you haven't seen, but it's a very entertaining way to see the ludicrousy, the and opportunity that exists in the market. And I don't know how many of you guys saw or maybe even participated in the GameStop short squeeze, but this entire movie is about it. And I think you should go watch it. Uh, as I tee this up, I want to give you guys some disclaimers. There's some language in this preview. So if you're sensitive to strong language, this is probably a section you need to tune out. However, uh, I would highly recommend this movie because it's really entertaining. It's got a great actor, actress uh, lineup, and uh, it's a great way to get educated on some of these kind of underdog plays that exist in the market. And the GameStop one was huge. It made It made a ton of people a ton of money and it was kind of a, a huge hit. It was a huge knock towards the big guys that kind of have the system rigged. They were they were doing a sh uh, they were shorting basically a stock. I'll give you kind of premise. So GameStop was a failing company, uh, one that really didn't have value, right? Like who's going to go in when everything's going digital? 
everything's going online. They, they were kind of looked as the blockbuster of movies, like literally the, the storefront of video games. And so naturally it's like, this is going to go away. Like we can see the pattern, right? So some big hedge funds and big uh, financial institutions were shorting the stock and even putting out articles to help promote the fail or the, the fall of GameStop within their short positions. And they were positioned to make millions of dollars doing this. And they do this all the time. They find companies that are failing, will likely fail. And then they'll pile on a bunch of data and news articles and like sharing their position publicly that will further drive the stock down and they'll make a ton of money. Well, these guys ganged up against the GameStop shorters and did what's called a short squeeze. And here's a preview. Uh, I'll let this kind of speak for itself. So here we go. How much did we make today? Five million. How much did we lose today? A billion. You got rich dudes pissing in their pants right now. Dumb Money is the movie, guys. Holy fucking shit. I will tell you, I've never seen anything like it. Holy fucking shit. It's the craziest I think I've ever seen. Everything okay? 11 fucking million dollars. What are you gonna do? Get a Ferrari? What the fuck? Oh, language. The baby's here. Ooh. Yo, what up, everybody? Roaring Kitty here. I'm gonna pick a stock and talk about why I think it's interesting, and that stock is GameStop. I love this guy. Retail traders have hooked into GameStop. I think they think it's a good investment. It looks like there's one guy driving all the buying. Who is this smoke? Dumb money, man. Happy to take it. Wall Street is betting that this company is gonna fail. And if it fails, these hedge fund assholes make a shit ton of money. 70,000 people have watched this video. Titty, I love you! If he's in, I'm in. If he's in, I'm in. GameStop, those shares not stopping. The stock is only gonna go up. When they hit, I'm gonna buy you a mansion. Let's drink to that. My brother is a fucking nerd. Wall Street must be seeing this, right? Holy fucking shit. Holy shit. You should probably dial in. Holy fucking shit. Do you have a minute? I, uh, um. Babe, how much did we make today? Five million. How much did we lose today? A billion. And yesterday? Four million. And yesterday? A billion. Babe. Yeah. Fucking rich. You got rich dudes pissing in their pants right now. They're coming after you. We need to talk about the GameStop situation. Retail traders always lose. <laughs> You've been served. Wall Street cheated. Surprise, surprise. You have to testify before Congress. The game has changed. Win and win in the race if you let some dipshit steal the prize. A lot of people feel the system is broken. The whole idea of the stock market is if you're smart and maybe with a little luck you can make your fortune. Certainly not anymore. There's no hope for the little guy. Shit balls. Maybe now there is. Fuck yeah. All right. So there's my fun uh, money mishaps section. If you guys haven't seen this money, it's a great way to stay entertained, but also 
start learning how uh, the market works and how these opportunities are showing up. And frankly, I don't like to be, I don't want to get branded as like the underdog uh, trader. And during the GameStop short squeeze, I was definitely, uh, I was definitely making a bunch of money in some other uh, fun I would call them underdog assets, uh, crypto in particular. And it's, it is important not to be a blind ape, uh, as the market calls it. <laughs> you don't want to be a follower, right? You don't want to come onto my channel and just take blind trades. You don't want to follow you know, a guy like this on YouTube and just blindly follow because you don't know what the intention really are. You don't always know like how they're making their money or who to trust even. But if you get a little educated... And it's not hard to these days, like this information now with AI and the world web, uh, you can get access to like how all of these uh, different mechanisms in the market work and why companies like these hedge funds were shorting GameStop and how a short squeeze actually works and how they were positioned to make millions of dollars squeezing these guys. Uh, it really gives you an, an angle that the people can start to team up, gang up and take out and play against the big guys and really make a ton of money while doing it. And, you know, I'm, I'm always a, uh, an advocate of the underdog. As you guys know, I, I grew up from pretty humble beginnings and had to make my own path. There were no handouts uh, growing up, definitely no handouts. And so little by little, year by year, I grew my wealth, grew like uh, my ability and my knowledge based on how to make money. And so the money mishap section is fun. It's a way to learn from other people's mistakes. And in this case, uh, it's a movie recommendation. So if you haven't seen it, uh, go see Dumb Money. And it will give you a sense of how the people under really underdogged these hedge funds and made millions and millions of dollars uh, sticking together and really having a plan collectively in the market. And this is going to be a trend. Going into 2024, by the way, there will be many more opportunities like this. AI is leveling the playing fields. And I would say, you know, I have this dystopian idea that, you know, the markets will become pure and like perfect. And until then, it's going to be a mess. And the people positioned, I, I believe, the people positioned to have the largest upgrade financially are actually the ones in the smallest ships. The big ships are going to really struggle in 2024. The small ships, meaning the individuals trading, the smaller groups trading, because their ship is smaller and they can turn faster, they are actually positioned, I think, for 2024, the best uh, to get returns out of the market. And so you and your little tugboat uh, versus this you know, cruise ship, I think you're positioned really well into 2024 just out of size. Uh, and from a technology standpoint. So uh, yeah, it should be an exciting year. And hopefully that movie helps give you some, some angles. All right, let's move into our last segment for the morning. We're going to go into our trades, one of my favorite uh, segments. And I'm going to bring this up. We're going to open green chart up and go into our charts to look at both gold and uh, the overall markets, the S&P 500. This, as you guys know, this is like one of my favorite things to do, and it's because it's what I do well. Uh, it's a segment of something I've been doing for over 15 years, and naturally, I've I've just gotten 
I've done it so much. It's like driving a car. It, I end up home and I forgot I was even, you know, driving. You know, it's like it's like that with this. Let's start with the S&P 500. We nailed this. I thought we did such a good job on this. Um, last Friday was right here. We had this breakout in the channel. And we warned, if you guys remember, we had some conversations about likelihood. Uh, we got our first take into the week, Monday and Tuesday. We nailed after that, we had some new sentiment that didn't bring us into our technicals. I did say last Friday that because of the uptrend, the likelihood of it going back into that trend is greater than not. So I thought, you know, we're going to be up in here somewhere after Monday and Tuesday, purely technical. Fundamentally, we didn't have that. So Monday, Tuesday came in. It was clear at that point, we talked about this. If we have a clear breakout, the optionality is second to that to possibly break above the 48. But if it breaks below this, the set, uh, the 47, we're likely going to sit in this territory. And sure enough, we got the first one. Our second bet based on technicals wasn't right, but it went into our third option, which, you know, we've, I was very clear was an option. It stayed right in between these levels. And so there's probably like two or three really strong trades that could have been created just using these technical levels. As soon as it broke the 47.52, you had a short position going clear down into like this 47.11. And uh, and now we're into a new trend. We talked about this. We needed a strong breakout like this to get out of this old trend. And I am going to leave it, but we're going to be into a new trend that we're going to be using from a technical uh, standpoint. So let's draw this in really quick. Get our floor. It's really tight. This is a very tight channel. So I don't trust tight channels because there's not a lot of wiggle room. Uh, so the likelihood of this breaking is very high. Uh, and I'll reiterate that next week. Because of the price that we're at, we're clearly playing today in this lower uh, realm. You can see that the news around unemployment has definitely kicked uh, things up to the upside later this afternoon. However, I you guys heard my sentiment about how I think the markets can react to this next week. So I'm going to do a technical analysis and then I'm going to weigh some fundamental news that we typically don't have come out on a Friday that would play into Monday. But from a technical analysis, we're short, uh, bearish for sure. Uh, is it that strong? It's definitely not as strong as our bullish run that we had back here. That was a really strong channel, really strong trend. This doesn't have the legs yet. It's also really thin, which I don't like, uh, which means there's a likelihood of a breakout. Let me show you where our levels will likely be next week. I'm going to say our it's actually likely, it's less likely to be here because of my fundamental take. It's way more likely to be here. And because of the channel, I'm going to kind of push it down. Like imagine this channel continuing to the right. We kind of want to live in this territory. So I'm going to say possible here. Definitely here. So this is my number three. So I'm going to say this is the most likely scenario. This is second to that. And uh, breakout further down, like out of this channel, also a possibility. I'm not going to highlight that, but this is where we're likely going to be Monday, Tuesday. Now, because of my fundamental belief, 
I'm weighing in a little heavier on this side. And I would say, let's change this. After the first couple days, and by the way, I don't know anyone who does technical analysis this far out, like to do a first read and then a second read like this, but I'm going to. Second read is going to be in this territory, meaning the rest of the week, my guess is we're going to test the 4,600 level. So I'm actually going to kind of bring it into this. This is more fundamental based though. I'm, I'm weighing in quite a bit on fundamentals. And then I want to do one more to kind of show you secondary to this. So I do not think we're going to be living in this territory. No, no, no. Come on. I think here. All right. And so there we are. So definitely I'm short. Uh, I would say bearish in the market. You know, obviously do your own research, guys. It's not financial advice. Uh, and I think the likelihood of it staying up in this area today, for sure, we might open right here, but then a closeout. So maybe I bring this up and over a little, just to illustrate that better. So it could be up a little bit into this channel. Let's bring this over. There we go. Uh, breakout towards the upside, though, I just don't think it's likely. I don't think that's where we're going. So I've left that kind of light. And then into like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I think more towards the short side. It is possible we live in this area. Do I think we're going to be up above the 4,700 level? I just don't. I've, you know, I'm right about 80% of the time to have it be in this region. I could be wrong. This could be one of the, those 20 percenters, but I just don't see that happening. So there's my read on S&P 500. So it's like, you could even say like, what's my overall take on the market? I think I'm going to, I'm going to say bearish uh, into next week. We were bearish into this week. We thought we would be more bullish based on the data, but this uh, unemployment scare, actually, I think it's going to weigh in because we're going to be talking a lot about rates next week. And there's going to be a lot of uncertainty with rates getting kicked down the road. The feds will probably say something next week. Uh, now let's talk about gold. Gold I like uh, because the strings that it's attached to are a little easier to read. Uh, it, it also gets impacted by fear in the market quite a bit, but you can definitely see we nailed, uh, we nailed this. We had a breakout on Friday. If you guys remember, this was Friday. And unlike the S&P 500 that I thought was more likely positioned towards the bullish side, I was much more certain of the bearish side on gold. And sure enough, the next three days were living in, in between the $2,050 level and the $2,076 level. And then we said, okay, it's likely that going into Friday, it might break below the 250 level. And sure enough, it did. You can see that here. We are in a new channel. So I'm going to get this in. It is shallow, which I like. I like a more shallow channel. As you can see here, this is much steeper, much more narrow. So there's a lot more probability uh, problems. Delete that too. I'm going to save this. But with this one, wider and shallower is, is more predictable. Uh, it's easier to know where we're going. It's like having a wider lane uh, in your car or a, a wider parking spot when you have to get out of and not hit, 
you know, the car next to you. It's just easier to navigate. And so I like the wider channels. I like it that it's shallower. Here's where we're likely going into next week. And again, not financial advice, guys. Do your own homework on this. But it's just hard not to see this. We're likely going to live in this zone. Like this is likely the zone for next week, unless we have something fundamental. And so I'm going to tighten it up because of that. So this will be tomorrow, the next day. And then going into like Wednesday, Thursday, if you look at this, depending on fundamentals, we could be up into this territory, less likely for sure. So I'm going to put this as a one and see the color way more likely we stay in the channel and maybe see some lower lows. I don't think we're going to see a breakout. I think it's going to want to live in this territory. So I'm going to mark this as the more likely scenario. And uh, you're welcome to take a screenshot of this. Show off to your friends next week. Show them how you did. Uh, it's kind of a fun flex. People start to think you're a genie in a bottle, uh, able to predict the market like this. It is not rocket science. You can tell, like, I've just done this so much. And as you do it with me, you'll be able to do this on anything, any stock, any anything that has technicals. You'll be able to apply the same principles we're using here. And it's really not that complex. But you can definitely see I'm bearish on gold right now. Not a ton, but definitely keeping my targets below the 2050 level. There is probably a trade. I shouldn't say probably. We're positioned well within our support and resistance levels for a short trade. We're already on the high side. We've already broken it. It's already got this kind of oscillation that's happened today. It's very likely that it's going to go towards that short side. And so, and we're and we're at the top of the channel. We're at the top of the excuse me. We're at the top of our. Uh, resistance point. And so to take a short trade here, we've got lots of room to run down and you could put your stop, you know, right in this like 20, 53, 55 level without a ton of risk and a, a lot of potential reward. And so I would be probably targeting like a 2014 target on today's price going into the next two days, like a two to three day hold uh, with a stop loss of like probably 2060. Give yourself some breathing room, 2058, 2060 uh, as your price uh, exit. S&P 500, short is not bad, but you can see we're not positioned well. I would kind of wait for it to break this uh, 4,700 level onto the short side before I put the trade in. And I then put my stop above that and my target probably somewhere at this like 4,650 level. And so that's basically how you do it. You... The reason the technicals are so important is not just to know where the market's going to go. It's also to place your stops and your take profits. And you want your take profits to be very far away from any support and resistance levels, both channel and these red and green lines. And on the flip side, your stop losses, you want it to be tight. You want them to be close and just outside of wherever the price is. If you're going short, you want it to be on the high side. If you're uh, going long, you want it to be below your support. And so that's why I do these levels. It's not just to know the direction. It's to also know how and where to place my stops and take profits because you want from a positional standpoint, more reward and less risk. And that's one of the basic rules of trading is to cut your losses short and let your profits run. 
And by doing this, you're staying inside the rules. You're also, the number one rule of trading is to trade the trend. You're staying inside of trends, which is like one of the biggest mistakes I see traders make. And you can see that we're following those rules. We're staying within the short trend here, staying within the short trend here. We're gonna let our profits run, cut our losses short. And uh, if you do that enough and you get good at it over time, uh, hopefully you can start pulling profits out of the market. Now, I'm gonna end on this and then let you guys get to your day. You have some motivation to set some goals around your trading. Don't just go in and do these trades and like have next week or this or tomorrow or even the next month look like this month. Set some goals around your trading. Set some very substantial, uh, acute, like particular granular goals. Like get very specific around what that number is, how many trades you'd be making, how much you would have by the end of the year. What's the multiplier? Are you going to make 50% more this year? 100% more? 200%? What is the, the tangible number that you would know if you took the shot, you either made it or you missed it? Now, I, I get it that there's some fear that comes up for some of us around this, around setting these goals and around like writing it down because then there is that moment or that optionality of failure. But I'm telling you, do, not doing it at all is immediate failure. So if you don't take the time to set your goals, you don't take the time to say, this is something I'm actually going to go for and I'm taking it for real, you've already failed. And so you might as well set yourself up and have the option to fail rather than failing immediately and just dealing with this mediocre life that we've been dealing with or, or just the insanity. Maybe you're having a great life and you're just tired of the insanity of having the same things over and over again and not having things change. All right. Well, that wraps up our Market Pulse podcast for Friday. First one of the year for 2024. It was supposed, by the way, today was supposed to be the uh, real estate forecast, but I didn't get the data. The data didn't commence. So we're doing it next week. So next week I will be highlighting uh, the real estate market. If you're interested, uh, things have changed. Um, yeah. And so I, I've got some of my pulse on that, that I'll share with you guys next week. Have a great weekend, get your goals set and uh, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Thanks so much. And, uh, yeah, safe training.